Well, hello, everyone. Hi. This side just decided I am not worthy of a greeting at all. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. You guys are a tough crowd. I get it. We'll warm up. No problem. No problem. Hey, my name is Nick, and uh, I really am thrilled to be here with you. I hail from Phoenix, Arizona. Praise God. Uh, where I serve as the lead pastor of Christ Church in central Phoenix. Uh, my wife and I moved from the east suburbs of Phoenix about three years ago to plant that church, and God has been uh, at work there in powerful ways, and I am thrilled and thankful that I get to be here with you. I brought my wife Rachel with me. Uh, we left our three boys at home, but I figured it's the thing to do to show you a picture of them. Those are our three boys. That's Titus on the left. He is four. That's Jude on the right. He is two. He's about to be three in, what, three days? He's three in three days, and that is Josiah with his inexplicably piercing blue eyes. Um, we, were, we were leaving our kids this weekend, and um, as moms do, mom was getting a little bit emotional to leave her little baby, right? And, uh, and Jude, the two-year-old, came up to mom, and he said, hey, mom, it's okay. You don't have to worry about me. I'm a superhero. <laughs> so... Just set all of her fears at rest, no problem. She walked out the door with confidence. <laughs> we left them with my parents back in Phoenix and are really excited to get to spend the weekend with you. I don't want to waste a lot of time. If you brought a Bible, please open it to John 15. I, uh, I did not bring a message for you, but God has a message for you, and it is from his word. And I'm going to do my level best not to bring you my social commentary or my clever ideas, but rather to do uh, what I believe every preacher's job is to do, which is deliver the word of God to you. The job of a preacher is the job of a herald to ride into a town with a message from the king, to unfurl the scroll and say, hear ye, hear ye, a message from the king. And that is my job here today. And we've got great reason to believe that God will show up in the preaching of his word. Uh, it's actually far better that you would hear from God than you would hear from me because God accompanies the preaching of his word with incredible promises. I trust that you all uh, are here in some sense because you want to hear from the Bible. Maybe you got drugged here by a friend and you're like, the Bible, what are you talking about? I thought we were going camping in the woods. Psych, you got duped and you are here to hear from God in his written word. And God says some amazing things about what we should expect when we read the word, right? Just think of some places in the scriptures that talk about what the word does and what the word is. Romans chapter 10 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. James chapter 1 says, if you receive with meekness the implanted word, it is able to save your souls. Psalm 19 says that the word of God is more precious than gold, even much fine gold. It is sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Isaiah chapter 40 says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And Jesus Christ himself, whose words we will study during our weekend together, he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So we have the inspired word of God that has been delivered to us and, and preserved for us by the Holy Spirit so that we might know the very mind and heart of God and in its pages we might meet with him. And so that's our expectation as we meet this weekend, and I am thrilled that we get to spend some time together doing that. 
I want to begin with this idea that I believe it is self-evident to everyone that all of us are on a search. All of us are on a quest for life. Every single one of us is looking for and longing for joy and fulfillment and satisfaction and vitality. We're all longing for and looking for life. And I brought a list of things with me that I think we go to when we're looking for life, but I wonder if you would participate with me. I need your help here for a moment. If this section would do better than the hellos, that would be great for me. Um, I wonder, you are here at a young adults retreat, and you know yourselves better than I know you, so I wonder how you would respond to this question. You feel free to just shout out an answer. Where do you think young adults go looking for life? Shout out an answer. Where do you think young adults look for life? Love? Like relationships? Yeah, absolutely. Romance, relationships, people, affection. Absolutely. What else? Did you say, you say money? Yeah, money. Material things, money, the accumulation of it, what it can buy you, how you can look, how you can appear to have a lot of money. What do you got? Drugs? For sure. Addiction? Substances? fleeting pleasure, all of that is places that we go to look for something that will fill us up, something that will satisfy us deep inside. What else? These are great. Parties. And what about parties? Let's double click on that. What about parties? Drinking. Okay. Substances again. What else? Excitement, indulgence, social status. I think this is a big one. I think one of the main areas that we young people look for life is in the approval of others. And especially in our age where we are incentivized to highly curate our image through social media and through the perception of others, we long for and we look for satisfaction in what other people think about us. What else? There's a few, I think, that we're missing that are really common. Careers, a big one, like accomplishment, dominance, success, education, climb the corporate ladder, get the promotion, be aimed in the right direction, have enough in retirement, making sure everybody knows on my LinkedIn profile that I have a sick resume. Like, we, we just want to, all of these things are where we look for life. Are there a couple others? Intelligence. We want to be seen as smart, as having all the answers. What else? Where do we look for life? Wealth. Did you say wealth? Lust. Big one. Big one. We medicate with, we medicate with low forms of, of pleasure, fleeting forms of pleasure. And if we can't find it in another person, we'll look for it digitally. We'll go to pornography. We'll, we'll try to satisfy our fleshly desires. What else? What's that? Lie to those around us, yep, to maintain image. I think all of these. Whether it's money, influence, power, status, it's a feeling of pleasure. Listen, every single person that you know, yourselves included, all of us, are on a relentless hunt to find something that will fill us up. And one of the ironic things is that no matter how many people reach the pinnacle of all of these things and look back to tell the rest of us, that ain't it, we still dupe ourselves into thinking that the end of that road is going to be the thing that finally makes it work for us. I mean, how many people 
Do we know that God, as much money, as much pleasure, as many drugs, as much approval as you could possibly get in this world? I mean, think just biblically. Think about King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, I did it all. I gathered all the money. I got all the power. I got all the women. I got all the pleasure. I got all the kingdom. I got everything that I could possibly accumulate. And the sum total of his analysis of that situation was, it's all meaningless. How many billionaires have to kill themselves before we realize money won't do the trick? How many likes on social media do we have to get before we realize that dopamine hit ain't going to do it for our souls? We long for and we look for life in all of these places. And the beating heart of the text that we are going to spend our time in this weekend is going to remind us of this great truth, that none of those can offer you what only Jesus can offer you. Jesus himself, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God and the Savior of the world, he is the only one who can give the true and lasting, the deeper, the more meaningful life that you and I actually long for deep within our souls. I I said it this way. It'll be on the screen. Jesus is the only one who gives the blessings of true spiritual life. All of us are looking for and longing for life, and it's only Jesus that can give it in the way that we most deeply desire it. And what we're going to do during our time together is just fix our attention on one metaphor that Jesus uses. And it is the metaphor of a vine and a vine dresser and the connection between a branch and the vine that he calls abiding. And I think this is a concept and a word that if you've been around the church for a while, you have heard at length, but at times has been ill-defined and too abstract to be helpful to our Christian lives. And yet what I want to do during our time together this weekend is really dive in to understand what does it mean to abide? What does it look like to abide? And how can I do it? Because I'm convinced, based on what Jesus says in this paragraph, that if we know what it means to abide, and we are willing to humble ourselves and give ourselves to this pursuit of abiding in Jesus, that it will actually be for us what we have so often longed for and lacked. That it will be the satisfaction for our souls that we feel like is always at our fingertips, but always slipping out of our grasp. That it will be the once for all deep and true and lasting rest for our souls that we long for. It is found in the person of Jesus and the connection that is available to him through abiding. And so that's, that's what I want to do. I want to spend all of our time here in John 15. There's so much gold here. If, if you have a Bible... Take a look at John 15, and keep in mind as we read that through the whole gospel of John, we've been seeing in in the first half of the book, we got these incredible miraculous signs and all of this teaching from Jesus, and then from chapter 12 and 13 on, the book really slows down, and in the second half, we get the last... The last couple days of Jesus' life on earth and chapters 14, 15, and 16 all form one climactic final conversation that Jesus had with his disciples on the very night that he was betrayed. These were, the, these were his parting words to his closest men and some of the most important things that he wanted to leave with them before he departed the earth. And at the end of verse 14, it says, rise, let us go from here. So it's, it's likely at this point that he and his disciples are walking. 
taking a walk on a road, perhaps even through a vineyard, running his hand through the vine itself as he uses this metaphor to teach this incredible truth about himself and about the only source of true and abundant spiritual life. Let's read it together. John 15, beginning in verse 1. And remember, as we read, this is the word of God for you. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I want to spend our time together unpacking what it means and what it looks like to abide. And specifically what I want to do is I'm going to spend most of our time, in fact, the next three gatherings that we have together, we're going to unpack nine blessings of true spiritual life that come to us through abiding. But the first thing that we have to do tonight is to set the stage. So I want to set the scene for us, uh, and I want to do that in three parts, and we'll do it like this. Here's the first part. I want to give you three truths that will help set the scene for this metaphor that will help you to receive all of the blessings that Jesus intends in giving this communication to us. And here's the first. I am the branch that needs life. Here's three things you need to know if you're going to set the scene for this. First is this. I am the branch that needs life. Jesus here is going to use an image, and he's going to use quite, quite an extended metaphor And it's a metaphor of a vineyard. Now, this is a metaphor that would have been much more familiar to the original men who heard it because they were in the midst of vineyards. They were in an area of the world where they grew grapes. And so this would have been quite a familiar image to them, not only because of the area that they were in geographically, but also because of their biblical knowledge and their comprehension of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, in a bunch of different places, but notably places like Isaiah chapter 5, the vineyard of, the image of a vineyard is used to describe the nation of Israel, the people that God had called to himself and were descended from the line of Abraham, the people of the covenants and the promises, God's chosen people. Uh, They were often described as a vine in God's vineyard that God himself had planted, that he had tended, that he had cared for, that he had nurtured. And unfortunately, the repeated use of the image of the vine in the Old Testament is always negative. 
It's never a positive use. Like, oh, the nation of Israel was so great, they received the grace of God and the covenants of God, and they bore so much fruit. If you go to a place like Isaiah 5, it is this, it is a, a, almost an accusation against the people of Israel that they received so much grace, that they received so much goodness from the hand of God as they were planted and tended to in the vineyard, and yet all they produced was sour grapes. Now, if you're familiar with the story of the Old Testament, you're like, yeah, that's, that's facts. That's, that's basically how it went. God was so kind to them and so clear with them, and he gave so much communication to them and so much mercy to them, and over and over and over again, they would slip into rebellion and disobedience and forgetfulness, and they would wander from God, and they would bring the judgment of God upon themselves. That happens over and over and over and over again. And if you've read the Old Testament for any period of time, you're like, guys, come on. Like, it's about time you get it right for once. And yet, when we read the Old Testament, it's like we're looking in a mirror of what our devotion to God looks like. And the lesson is the same for them as it was for us. And this is what God is illustrating when he uses the vineyard in the Old Testament. Is he saying, without a connection to me, you by yourself are lifeless, it is when the people of God grow detached and distant from God that they wither into lifelessness. That is just as true for the nation of Israel as it is for us. I am the branch that needs life. You can think about it this way. Just recently, I went on a road trip with my friend who has a Tesla. And I, hadn't been, I, I, I had been in a Tesla like one time three years ago, and then all of a sudden I got in one again to go on this road trip. Um, and... What I realized, disappointingly, is as cool as they look, road trips take like three times longer in the Tesla. Did you, did you know this? I was, I was not aware of this fact. I was like, oh, cool, we're going in a Tesla. Until it tripled our travel time. And I was like, somebody get me a Toyota Camry or something. Like, get, get rid of this thing. And do you know why it is that it took two times as long to get where we were going? Because you got to stop at a stinking charger. So you, you can like roll for a couple hundred miles and then you got to pull off the road and it's not like you plug the thing in and it's like, we got the juice ready to go. You got to sit there for 45 minutes while the battery charges. <laughs> and they just want to placate you into oblivion. So they're like, here, watch Netflix on our high definition television in the Tesla while you're charging. Here's the, here's the reason. Because the, the battery in the Tesla was made, it was made to hold life, but it, it, is not a, it was made to hold energy, but it's not a source of energy. It needs to be plugged into the source of energy. And so many things in our lives are like this. Like if you, if you take a rose and you take it off of the bush and you go to give it to a loved one, you have just committed horticultural homicide. That rose is doomed. It, it will inevitably shrivel up and die. If you, don't chug your, if, you don't, if you don't plug your phone into the charger, it's done. It's done. It will be a better paperweight than a communication tool. If your body, if your physical body is not fed calories, you die. Why? Because all of these things in and of themselves are not sources of life and energy. They need to be connected to sources of life and energy. Now, here's the problem. That is... That is just as true for you and me spiritually. It's just much easier to ignore. So, like I know we live our lives on our, on our phones. And you know how you feel like you left an arm at home if you leave your phone at home? 
It's like obvious to you. If it runs to zero and it turns off, you're like, oh my goodness, I can't be on social media, I can't text, like what is life? I can't, I'm not connected to the internet. And so you like go looking for, you're like, oh, where's the charger? I gotta plug this in. And you, you, you're aware of it. The problem is that we dupe ourselves into thinking that if we go disconnected and detached from God, we'll be good. Because we're still moving, we're still acting. And yet the reality is for us that if we are disconnected from God, we have no true life in ourselves. We are the branches that, that need life. We live in a world, especially today, that will scream the message at you over and over and over again that true life is to be found by digging deeper within yourself. Do you know this? All you have to do is pay attention to a little bit of the messaging. Just like, uh, it's like, you know, all you got to do is realize your potential. All you have to do is express your truest self. All you have to do is meditate and be mindful. All you got to do is have self-esteem. All, all of that, all of that messaging is designed to tell you, just look within yourself and you will find true life. And the Bible's message is the exact opposite. If you look within yourself, all you will find is death. You're, you're not the source of life. You need a source of life. You're not the answer to the problem. You are the problem. And as sobering as that is to realize, the first step to solving a problem is admitting that you have one. So praise God, in his word, he is kind enough to tell us the truth about ourselves. And the truth begins here. I am a branch that needs life. I, I'm not the source of life. I, I'm not going to look deep within myself to find the life that I need. I am going to look for life in the only place that it can truly be found. And where is that? It is in Jesus. And that's the second part of setting the scene. It's this. I'm the branch that needs life. Number two, Jesus is the vine that has life. Jesus is the vine that has the life we are longing for. At the very beginning of the text, Jesus just begins. This is his seventh and final I am statement in the Gospel of John. And he says it this way, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Now, in the context of all we just talked about, about the lifeless vines that populate the Old Testament, Jesus comes onto the scene as the fulfillment of all of God's promises, as the true Israel. And he says, I am the true vine. There's all of the failed vines, there's all of the lifeless vines that have produced nothing, and I am the true vine. And what is he saying when he says that? He's saying, not only am I full of life, but I am the source of life for all of the branches that are connected to me. I'm, I am the only true and abundant source of real spiritual life that you long for and desperately need. I not only have enough life to fill myself up, I've got I've got abundant eternal life, more than enough to give away to anyone who would attach themselves to me. Jesus himself, he is the vine that has life. Jesus is saying here in this metaphor that he himself is the channel through which the God of the universe funnels his life. Now, now how can he say this? Because this is, this is crazy talk. He's, he's the vine, he's the source of all true spiritual life, yes. Think for just a moment about who it is that is speaking when he says, I am the true vine. This is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who the Bible reveals is the God of all glory, the ruler of heaven and earth, who 
2,000 years ago, left the comfort of heaven and was incarnated into the world that he created. He took on human flesh and he lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death, spilling his blood on the cross to cover the penalty for sin that you and I had committed. And then he rose triumphantly from the dead, shattering the power of death in the resurrection. And he has then ascended to the right hand of the Father where he has seated, uh, he's been seated accomplishing all of the work of redemption. And he is awaiting now the time of his triumphant return when he will split the sky he will return for his people he will judge the living and the dead and he will set up his eternal kingdom from which he will rule and reign in his benevolent goodness and glory for all time and eternity as Jesus the Christ that's who's talking right now and so it is he who in the very beginning of your Bible when it says God spoke and the entire world came into existence it's that God that's now wearing a human body and his name is Jesus He himself is the source and the fountain of all life. There's this place in Arizona that is gloriously beautiful, just like an hour and a half north of the Phoenix Valley, that's called Fossil Creek. And it looks like it's not even in Arizona. I should have brought a picture of it. It's this crystal, sparkly blue water that flows through this kind of like lush valley and then drops off this massive waterfall, and it's a huge tourist destination. It's always crowded, but it's an amazing place to go. And one time I went there on a hike, and what I didn't realize as I was walking down to the waterfall is that this massive rushing waterfall kind of winds all the way back up into this valley, and as it winds back up, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller at at, At the very end, it's this huge gushing body of water, but at the very end, it's this little, if you trace it all the way back, it's this hole in the ground that is just, like, it looks otherworldly because it's just a massive hole in the ground, and out of the hole in the ground is just flowing so much water. It's just gushing out of the earth. It is, it's like a fountainhead. And all of that collects into this rushing river and then drops down the waterfall. And Jesus, he is like the fountain. He is like the source of all life. All other life in the universe, if you trace it back to its source, it comes from the abundant life that flows from Jesus himself and from our triune God. He is the source of all life. He's the fountain of life. And all of the life that you and I can hope to have is in him. The problem is that you and I, far too often, we spend so much time and energy, we spend so much of our capacity looking for life in all of the ways that you described earlier, and we neglect to look for it in the one place that can actually give it to us, in Jesus. We think to ourselves like, well... Yeah, I know Jesus, but that's like the Sunday school answer. I need to like optimize my life. I need, to, I need to do some more hot yoga. I need to get on a better diet. I need to get a better job. I need to do, and we just like fill in the list of things that we run on the hamster wheel of satisfaction that never does the job. And the whole time Jesus is standing there like, I've got all the life you could ever need. This, this metaphor in the scriptures, I, I think it's in Jeremiah 2 where it says, you have, you've hewn out for yourself cisterns and you've dug out wells that, that have dried up and can't give you any water. It's like you're trying to take your fingernails and scratch in the desert to try to get to some water and there's nothing there but dirt. And right next to you is the fountain of living water. 
offering you life, and it's Jesus. He is the vine that has life. And then here's the third part, the final part for our time together tonight. So how do we access this life? If I need the life and Jesus has the life, how do we get there? Well, here's the third part. Abiding is the connection that gives life. Abiding is the connection that gives life. In the section that I read earlier, uh, the word abide is in there eight times. Eight times. And, And you don't have to be some genius level Bible scholar to know that that means it's important. It's like, that's Bible 101. If it says the word eight times, you should double click on it, find the definition of it, and learn what it means because it is the key to understanding that passage. So abide, what, what does it mean? Well, abiding is a way of describing a relationship between us and God, between us and the Lord Jesus. And Jesus here, he gives a command to abide. And then he gives a promise that he will abide in those who abide in him. It's this mutual connection between us and Jesus. Simply put, here's what abide means. You've probably heard this before, but the word abide, it means to remain or to stay. To be, in other words, continuously connected. To stay put Right, you, you and I, so frequently, we spend so much of our lives bouncing from thing to thing to thing, and we're distracted, and we live kind of an inch deep and a mile wide, and the invitation to abide is to go, to go into deep relationship and connection with Jesus and to stay put there, to plant your feet there, to remain there. When you go to a hotel... Or if you're going to go somewhere, like you're in an Airbnb or you're in a hotel, and you're just going to be there for one night, what you don't do is like set up shop. If you're going going to a hotel and you're going to be there for one night and you pull all your stuff out of your suitcase and you like put the socks in the drawers, I think you need therapy. Like you need to be seen for that. Something is wrong with you. Like just leave it in the suitcase, man. You're moving on in like six and a half hours. Just chill. All right. You You don't move in. You don't start rearranging the furniture. You don't go to Home Depot and get a couple buckets of paint and start painting the walls. Why? Because you're not sticking around. You're not staying there. You are here and then you're gone. And the opposite should be true of our relationship with Jesus. We should make our home in Jesus Christ. We should move in and get settled and commit to sticking around for the long term. We should connect ourselves to the Lord Jesus and refuse to budge because we're convinced that I have no life in myself, that he has all the life that I ever need, and so abiding in him and sticking to it is the connection that will allow his life to flow to me. That's what abiding is. is it's, it's this connection that we share with the Lord Jesus. Now, you might still be thinking, okay, that sounds so abstract. What does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? I want to just give you a, a simple definition of what abiding is. Let's, let's try to take it from the realm of the kind of esoteric and the ethereal. Let's try to make it concrete. Abiding is this, three things. Abiding is believing in, receiving from, and communing with Jesus. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Abiding is believing in, receiving from, and communing with Jesus. So how do I abide? 
You're like, all right, Nick, I'm convinced. I I want the life that Jesus offers. What does it look like? Well, it, it looks like, at the very least, this is not a comprehensive picture, but it will give you a glimpse. It looks like these three things. First, it looks like believing in Jesus. How do you believe in him? Well, first, you have to know who he is. You have to know what he said. You have to know what he's done. You have to understand his character, and then you trust him. Believing in Jesus is not just believing that he exists, acknowledging the data point that he was a historical figure. Believing him is trusting him. Believing him is placing the weight of your life and your faith on Jesus and saying, I I entrust myself to you. It's believing Jesus and resting on his promises because you know his character. Believing in Jesus. And then second, it's receiving from Jesus. Man, this has been the sweetest meditation for me as I've even thought about coming up here this weekend. You and I, we are needy people. We're, we're, we're so needy. And what, what I love so much is how many times Jesus, from his own lips, made promises about the things that he would give to needy people like you and me. And so if you want to abide in Jesus, not only do you believe in him, but you can receive from him. Here's Here's just a sampling of the things that Jesus said he would give to people like you and me. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Jesus said, come to, me all who are, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus said, whoever eats this bread of life will never be hungry again. He said, whoever drinks the living water that I give them will never thirst again. Jesus said, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And Jesus said, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you. (laughs) Just think about how wild it is. Think about all of the things that Jesus has on offer for needy people like you and me. Peace, rest, satisfaction, freedom, life, and joy. And that is only a sampling of the list. And so you and I, if we're going to abide in Jesus, we have to actually believe that he is offering us these things, and we have to go to him with open hands and open hearts and actually trust that we can and will receive them when we go to him, that we can have the peace that he supplies, that we can experience the rest and the satisfaction and the love and the life and the joy that he offers. It is receiving from him. And you're like, all right, how do we do that? How do we believe in him? How do we receive from him? Well, I think that last one is important. It's this, we commune with him. We commune with him. If you want to know how to abide in Jesus, I think if you were to boil it down, if you were to strip away all of the complexities and even the theological language and the jargon and the Christianese, how do you, how do you abide in Jesus? You spend time getting to know him, you spend time speaking to him, you spend time quieting your heart to hear from him, you, you just spend time. Now, communing with someone is, is not just being in their presence. Communing with them is sharing relationship with them. Like you see the root word there is like community, that we commune. 
that we actually spend time with Jesus in a way that is relationally significant, it, that there, where there's mutual communication, that we actually relate to him. Now, I am convinced that this, just simply spending time with Jesus, is the reason that you and I lack so much of the life that we long for, because we don't do it. We don't do it. We, we, just, we just neglect it. And in fact, I would say that probably the primary enemy to our devotion is distraction. That we, we live far too frenetic and distracted lives to give any substantial time to the Lord Jesus. I don't know if you're like me, but there have been seasons of my life, and I know, I know many, many of my young friends the church that I pastor is, is overrun with 20-somethings. You guys. Like, you guys would fit right in at the church that I planted three years ago. And so many of them, their lives are, are like, their lives are just so, I hear from almost every single one of them, man, I'm stressed. Man, I'm so busy. Man, I'm so anxious. Man, I'm, I've got so much going on. Man, I'm, I'm buried, like all of this stuff. And then when you really dig into the particulars of their life, what, what, what's actually going on is they wake up in the morning, and the first thing they touch and the first thing they look at is their phone. They're, they're on social media within 0.5 seconds of being conscious to the world. And then they're scrolling and it's news and it's stats and it's stocks and it's social and it's all of this stuff. And then at the, the last minute, they're jumping out of bed and they're getting in the shower and they're getting ready. And then they're rushing about their day and their meetings and phone calls and Zoom calls and beeps and whirs and dings and notifications. And they're rushing about all their stuff and then they're hanging out with their friends and then they go home and they sit on their couch and they scroll on their phone. And then they get a little tired so they go to their bed and they scroll on their phone until they fall unconscious and they experience a few hours of restless sleep and then they just wake up and do it all again. And it's like, of course you're anxious. Duh. Like, why don't you just stop for a second? Go for a walk. Like, do something other than what you're doing. Just stop. Just interrupt the frenetic pace of activity and give some space for your soul to commune with the God who made you. Put your phone away. Like, separate it from your physical body. Put it in another room. You will not die. It's okay. The world will keep spinning if you are not connected for a moment. Put your phone in another room. Get alone with your Bible. Maybe even get down on your knees. And just spend time getting to know Jesus. Commune with him. Sit in the quiet long enough. To, to hear, open his word and get truth from what he said, like just spend time with him. It's not, I promise you, it's not rocket science. It's not just for the monks. It's not just for the spiritual elite. It's not just for the missionaries or the super Christians that you know, like regular, everyday, normal, ho-hum, average Joe Christians like you and me can do it. We can commune with the living God it's a promise in his word. He says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. What a promise. This is how we abide in Jesus. And he, he, Jesus, is the only one who gives the blessings of true spiritual life. Now, I know, because this is how I'm wired, that at this point in this weekend, 
there are some of you who are thinking to yourself like, oh man, this is exactly what I've been missing in my spiritual life. I'm so thankful this is where we're going to be. I'm so excited for this. But the very first thing that you are thinking right now is like, I know what I need. I'm going to abide harder. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? You're like, I'm going to write a list of 10 ways I'm going to abide, and I'm going to optimize my abiding, and I'm going to stop my not abiding, and I'm just going to abide so hard. This is what I need to do. And I know this is how we're wired. We're wired to just be like, let's, let's fix it, let's problem solve it, let's make it happen, let's do it. And I, I'm not trying to minimize the fact that if you want a thriving relationship with Jesus, it's going to take hard work. So just like log that. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not putting that aside. That's true. It's going to take death to yourself, crucifying your flesh, disciplining yourself for godliness. It's going to take hard work, trust me. And yet the first step to doing the hard work is, is so ironic. And it's actually just admitting that you can't do it. If somehow you dupe yourself into thinking like, oh, I've got this. I'm going to leave the retreat, and I'm going to be the best abider. We're thinking about it wrong. We have to acknowledge the truth that's there. If you can go back to the, actually, just this last verse. It's John 15, 5. This is where I want to end. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And then I just want to finish with this phrase. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I think probably the first and maybe the most critical step to experiencing the real life that only Jesus can offer is rejecting the gravitational pull of independence and self-sufficiency and humbly acknowledging that we desperately need Jesus that we need him, that we can't do anything apart from him. Because it is when we humble ourselves, it is when we realize that we can't do it without his help and his grace, that his provision comes flooding into our lives. And so I just want to begin this weekend in a posture of open hands and open hearts and humble dependence upon the Lord Jesus. And I want to trust him with you that he will show up in a powerful way to give us a glimpse and a taste and an experience of the life that only he can offer. Are you willing to do that with me? Okay, I wonder if you would. I'm going to, in just a minute, I'm, I'm actually going to kneel down as I pray. And if you want to join me, you're more than welcome to join me on your knees in a physical posture of dependence on the Lord. And let's just together, let's ask him for a moment to give us the life that he possesses in full. So I'm gonna kneel down, and you're welcome if you'd like to join me. You certainly don't have to. And I'm gonna give us just a moment of quiet. And then I'm gonna invite actually many of you to pray out loud, if you would. Let's all pray together at the same time. Let's have first just a moment of quiet prayer, and then I'll invite all of you to pray out loud and to ask God to give you this life.
Don't be afraid or ashamed or embarrassed of the person next to you hearing. I want, I want us to fill this room with our prayers. God can hear every single one of them individually, and God will be honored as we voice our dependence to him, and then I'll close us in prayer. Let's have just a moment in quiet, and then I'll prompt you to pray. All right, let's lift our voices and fill this room with our prayers. You don't have to be a pastor or a theologian. They can be simple prayers. You can pray, God, give me life. Let's lift our voices and let's fill this room with our prayers. Come on, let's pray. Come on, don't be shy. Lift them up. Yes, Lord, we, um, for a moment, just want to uh, practice what we've preached. Before we rush on to the next thing, before we go on to the next activity, we just pause for a moment. We're on our knees before you because we want the physical posture of our bodies to reflect the dependent postures of our hearts. We're opening ourselves to you, God, and asking that you would do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, would you fill us with your life? God, would you remind us that all of the ways that we have looked for life will not satisfy us, but you can and you want to. God, I thank you that when you convict us, you don't do it in order to shame us, you do it in order to heal us. And so I pray that even as some of us feel the weight of the ways that we have failed, that we would not be crushed by guilt or condemnation or shame, but we would feel, as we are, we would feel loved by you. We would know that your mercy and your grace is abundant and available, and that you are ready and willing to walk this journey with us. So God, help us. Help us through the course of this weekend to long for the life that only you can provide. And Lord Jesus, would you be very real to us? Would you be present with us? Would you speak to us so clearly? Would your spirit lead us and guide us as we spend time together and as we spend time in your word? And would we experience the abundant joy and the true vitality of the life that only you can give? Lord, we trust you for these things and we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.